Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to Live Church. We are so glad you're here. We're so glad you're watching. And um, we want to stay connected. That's very, very important. No Lone Rangers out there, no Mrs. Lone Rangers, um, Tantos, etc. We want to hang together, uh, stay connected. Because um, it's important. It's important that the days we're living in. So, um, so here's the deal. If you are uh, watching on LifeChurchMH.com, we want you to grab uh, an outline and you can go to the video player and it'll pull it up. If you're on the Life Church Facebook page, there's a link to the comments sec- section. And um, by all means, um, it's always fun to fill out notes, isn't it? Yeah, man, it's a blast. And, uh, and uh, it's a way to stay engaged with uh, this morning's talk. Man, I got to tell you, I, uh, I am so grateful for the Bible. I am so grateful um, to be able to read it and apply it to our lives. Man, it is, it's a gift that keeps on giving. And we are fortunate to have the Bible to read. And you saw some of these folks earlier on the video um, and how some nations struggle, you know. You can't go to church, you can't own a Bible, etc. And so we are, um, we're fortunate to, to be able to do that uh, here in America. So once again, thanks for being here, thanks for watching. And there's uh, a gentleman I'd like to talk about going back in history. He, was, uh, he wasn't born in America. He was actually born in Australia, uh, February 9th, 1885. That was before my time. How about yours? A little bit before that, yeah. And he was born um, to a life of hopelessness. His, his parents lived in a slum. Uh, they neglected their son. His mom and dad both were alcoholics. And so by the time Arthur Stace was 15 years old, he had already been thrown into jail for stealing food to survive. And um, in his 20s, he was in and out of prison for breaking into houses for theft. Um, and he himself became an alcoholic, man. His life was simply going into a tailspin. During that time, World War I started. Australia got involved. Arthur Stace enlisted, and uh, there was a tear gas attack that left him half blind. So when he came out of the military, he continued to live in poverty, continued drinking to fill that void in his life, and uh, his life was that of a bum filled with petty crime and alcoholism. No matter how hard he tried, um, he couldn't break free from a life of crime or drinking. And I tell you what, he became very desperate. So on August 6, 1930, everything changed for Arthur Stace. Well, what was that, you might ask? Well, I'm glad you asked because I'm going to tell you. He was so hungry, he was willing to go to a church that taught Jesus was the only way to heaven, and they were providing free food. 
before the service. And he said, uh, man, that night I placed my faith in Jesus Christ. I went into the church to get a cup of tea and a rock cake. I don't know what a rock cake is. Uh, you probably have to dip it in the tea to soften it up. Right? Rock cake, man, it would break your dentures most likely. But he said, I met the rock of ages. <sighs> Great news. Arthur Stace put his faith in Christ. Everything changed. Years later, 1942, he went to church. The pastor made the statement, I wish I could shout eternity through the streets of Sydney, Australia. Eternity, eternity, eternity. And that impact, man, it just kind of shook Arthur from the inside out. It resonated within him. And... uh, that, that cry from the pastor became a reality in Arthur's life. After that sermon, Arthur committed to getting up early every morning, pray for an hour, leave his home early in the morning, and he would walk wherever God, he felt God led him. And it was during that time that he wrote one word in yellow chalk on the sidewalks throughout Sydney, and that word was eternity. About every hundred feet, you would find Arthur Stace on his knees writing the word out. And for more than 20 years, he did this every single morning. A one-word sermon to a nation, and it made a difference. His message was secured for generations by the architect Ridley Smith, who put it in copper plate in Sydney Square. If you were going to Sydney Square today, you would see that word eternity on a copper plate. And it was later viewed on December 31st, 1999, the Sydney Harbor Bridge on the eve of a new millennium. That word eternity was lit up. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah. And then after that, uh, on September 15th, the year 2000, over 4 billion people watched on television the opening ceremony of the Sydney Olympics with the word eternity blazing. What a testimony. You know, eternity arrests our attention as human beings. I get it, man. Our culture today, they don't try to, they don't think about death, they don't think about eternity. But here's the thing, in Ecclesiastes 3.11 it says, He, God, has planted eternity in the human heart But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. God has planted eternity on the human heart. That's where the soul comes in. You and I have been given a soul by our Creator God, a soul that is able to withstand everything this world can throw at it, the soul that never dies. And because God loved you and He loved me so much, He allowed his son to suffer on a cross to pay for our sin debt by shedding his blood. Why? Because God placed eternity in you, and he wants you to spend eternity with him in heaven. It's great news. It's great news. So this morning, we're going to take a look at one man and how he made a difference in his country. Just like Arthur Stace made a difference in his country years ago, 
I believe that God is calling you and me to make a difference in our world today. You and I have influence in the people that come in contact with us. And we can either push people towards God or push them away from God. You have that much power in your life. I tell you what, man, it's a big responsibility. It's bigger than we can handle. That's why we have to lean in and allow the Lord to live through us and empower us with his spirit. So let's go to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 11, and we're, uh, we're going to camp out on that for the next few moments. I'm going to back up just one verse into the tail end of chapter 10, 1 Samuel. That's where we'll, we'll kick it off. All right, everybody ready? Here we go. Nahash, king of the Ammonites, had been grievously oppressing the people of Gad and Reuben, who lived east of the Jordan River. That's in Israel. He gouged out the right eye each of each of the Israelites living there, and he didn't allow anyone to come and rescue them. In fact, of all the Israelites east of the Jordan, there wasn't a single one whose right eye, Nahash, had not gouged out. That's kind of creepy, isn't it? It's the kind of guy he was. But there were 7,000 men who had escaped from the Ammonites, and they had settled in Jabesh-Gilead. All right, we'll hit the pause button there. Let's talk to the Lord before we proceed. Lord, thank you for your word. We look at this dude, Nahash, and what a man. He was a monster. He was a terrorist. Man, going after the people of Israel to humiliate them, to destroy them. And Lord, this morning we want to thank you for the opportunity we have to read your word and apply it to our lives. And we know that you know every single one of us very well. And you know where and how our past week has gone, the past month, the past year. Some people are struggling. Some people are living in turmoil right now. And some people have a lot of questions, and we thank you, Lord, for your word that walks us through turbulent times, times where we question and doubt. You bring us through, Lord, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we have the Ammonites, King Nahash. He had a, quite a reputation, and... Uh, uh, Nahash kind of had a map of Israel, and he, he kind of zeroed in on Jabesh Gilead, because why? why? Why did he pick on Jabesh Gilead? The reason why was because Jabesh Gilead was isolated. It was an isolated community, and it was vulnerable for attack. And so Nahash thought, man, this would be, this would be a simple picking uh, for his army to control this area and this community, which makes you and I to just pause and reflect for a moment. If you're living your life all alone, uh, I'll tell you a secret. You are living a vulnerable life where the enemy can target you and try and take you out. Even with this COVID-19 stuff, man, hitting the fan for so long, 
the danger is we become so comfortable, you know, of staying away from people that we become vulnerable for the enemy to come after us. Yeah. And he puts a target on your back, and he'll try and take you out. The simple fact of the matter is, friends, we need each other, the body of Christ. That's why God put that body on this planet. So we need each other. We, yes, we need the Lord, but we need each other. So, so there's a danger here. With the same thing that was going on in, in uh, Jabesh Gilead, man, they were, they were outside away from every other community. Uh, the king, Nahash, said, man, we're going to take them out. Boom! I heard that last night a lot. <laughs> I was on my front porch for a while. Man, it was, there was smoke everywhere. Whew. I came in, and I still heard it. But I survived. How about you? <laughs> yeah. So here we see that uh, Nahash is going after God's people. Man, I, when, you, when you track, listen, I, I've been camping out in going through the Kings in the Old Testament, and I've been going through the epistles in the New Testament. And I'll tell you what, man, it just, it is so good to be able to read the Bible and see, even in the midst of of 1 Samuel 11, where Israel had been crying out for a king. Why did they want a king? Because, listen, everybody else around them, all the countries around them had a king. And they wanted to be like everybody else. You see, our culture today is trying to do that very same thing. They're trying to, trying to eliminate the spiritual influence. And we should become like everybody else. But I want to encourage you, man, to, to follow God's word. And even if you've got to stand alone for him, do it. Because he'll empower you to do that very thing. And so... Israel wanted to be like all these pagan countries, man, where they're worshiping all these false gods that aren't even breathing, you know? What cracks me up is you got Israel, when they come out of Egypt, what do they do? The first opportunity, they build two golden calves. You ever try to milk a golden calf, anybody? Huh? How about some beef from a golden calf? Anybody? How's that working for you? Listen, I would say those people were pretty stupid to walk away from a loving, living God and worship a golden calf that couldn't even produce a little bit of milk or a little bit of beef. Can you imagine talking to a golden calf? How's it going, cow, for the day? That golden calf is stress-free because he's not living. Israel wanted, and God was trying to, you know, he told Samuel, tell these people, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be good. And you track the kings in the Old Testament, wasn't good overall. God wanted to be king. And guess what? God finally relented, even with his own people, and said, okay, you want a king? You can have a king. And this is the, the, the point where we're at right here, right now, in 1 Samuel 11. Saul had become, just become king 
anointed by Samuel. So, number one in your notes, no right eye. No right eye. Verse 27b, Nahash, king of the Ammonites, had been grievously oppressing the people of Gad and Reuben who lived east of the Jordan River. He gouged out the right eye of each of the Israelites living there, and he didn't allow anyone to come and rescue them. In fact, of all the Israelites east of the Jordan, there wasn't a single one who whose right eye, Nahash, had not gouged out. But there were 7,000 men who had escaped from the Ammonites, and they had settled in Jabesh-Gilead. Let's take a look at an Israeli map. Um, that's it right there. That's an overview. Uh, Mediterranean Sea on the left. Uh, Jordan is on the right of the, of the Dead Sea. Jordan today, uh, are, they're allies with the U.S. militarily because the Middle East is a hot spot, of course. But Ammon was in Jordan, the country of Jordan. And so um, let's hit the next one. We'll zero in. You can see Jabesh Gilead. You have the Sea of Galilee to the north. We talked about the Sea of Galilee. It's a beautiful area in Israel, fertile, beautiful foliage. You, you go down that Jordan River from, from the Sea of Galilee, and to the right, you've got Jabesh Gilead. There it is. And... Um, That's where we're, we're going to hit this morning. Do you see anybody else around Jabesh Gilead? Anybody? You see how isolated that is? Yeah, Nahash figured that one out. So there you have it. Once blinded in the eye, you were less likely to cause trouble against enemy forces. It, it, it messed you up. Not only that, but... With your right eye gouged out, it was a daily reminder of the power that the conqueror had over you. You were, you, you were basically committed to him. You couldn't cause any trouble. So, no right eye, and that's something that Nahash was known for. He was a brutal man, and so... 7,000 escaped, taken refuge in Jabesh Gilead, but now we have trouble. In other words, Nahash followed these 7,000 men. He wasn't satisfied with what he had done in the past. He had some more work to do. It's kind of like the Jews in the 1930s that had escaped from Germany. They recognized that the, the door was closing for them. Their freedoms were being taken away. Uh, consistently, and those who had opportunity fled to Austria, and they figured they would be safe there. But the sad story is, in March 1938, Germany came in and occupied Austria. So they were running, trying to stay away from the Nazi army. And here we see these men that had fled these other communities and camped into Jabesh Gilead, hoping that they would be able to escape Nahash once and for all, but it didn't happen. Number two, trouble coming, verse 1a. About a month later, King Nahash of Ammon led his army against the Israelite town of Jabesh-Gilead. Now, just a heads up, Jabesh-Gilead is 25 miles to the east of the Jordan River. And so Nahash, the Ammonite, you might ask yourself, well, what's an Ammonite? An Ammonite, they were descendants of Lot. Remember Lot? Abraham and Lot? Sodom and Gomorrah, does that ring a bell? That's where Lot lived. Well, Lot 
was the cause of the Ammonites. Let's think of something else. Nahash, what do you think his name means? <laughs> when his parents, you know, they had this little conversation over coffee when their son was born. Uh, who should we call our son? They said, hey, Nahash, he's a snake. How would that help you grow up? Hey, snake. Snake in the grass. Uh, how would that, you know, boys in the neighborhood? Hey, snake. You know, he probably had, he started a gang in the neighborhood. The snake gang, right? Woo! Man, he had a reputation growing up, and he carried it over into the military. So, so he's a snake. Anybody else know a snake? Satan is a snake, right? Yeah, he's called a serpent. He's called a liar. He's called a deceiver. Yeah. So, so Nahash kind of took on the, the characteristics of Satan himself because Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's exactly what Nahash was doing in Jabesh Gilead. He came to steal, kill, and destroy. And so we need to be alert, man. We need to be alert. To what he wants to do. There's trouble coming. Trouble's on the way. Trouble's in the mail. It's going to ring your doorbell. So a month later, King Nahash of Ammon led his army against the Israelite town of Jabesh Gilead. He surrounded them. He surrounded them. And, you know, because these folks had already experienced what Nahash does, he gouges out right eyes. Man, panic went through their community. Here's the deal. When the enemy has you surrounded, you need to go to God's Word. You do. I do. Martin Luther uh, wrote this great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Verse 1, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper he, amid the flood of mortals, mortal ills prevailing, for still our ancient foe, that's the devil, doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel eight, on earth is not his equal. A mighty fortress is our God. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can't endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little world, one little word shall fell him. Can I tell you what that little word is? It's the great name of Jesus Christ. A mighty fortress is our God. Man, I wish we had an orchestra here right now. And belt it out. We could march around this place. Mighty fortress. Come on, Montaniel. So, we look and we see Jabesh the people of Jabesh decided to make a treaty because they wanted peace uh, first. They didn't want to be annihilated. And uh, that's, a make, that's a mistake a lot of folks make today. They start compromising. They start giving ground to the enemy. And they think they can coexist with that, you know. 
they can pick the places and times for him to show up. Well, listen, listen, don't give ground to the enemy. That's what these folks at Jabesh Gilead were considering. And so, um, bowing to the pressures from friends and relatives, you know, to, uh, hey, don't become a holy roller. Uh, don't be so, you know, committed to your faith in Christ. You don't have to tell people about that. Be careful. Why? Because trouble's coming. Number three, there's a price for compromise. 1B, verse and 3. But all, does anybody know what all means in Hebrew? <laughs> See, you, if you didn't come to church, man, you wouldn't know that. See? See how important it is to be here? Yo! Yeah, man. Yep. So, but all the citizens of Jabus asked for peace. What's that look like? Make a treaty with us and we will be your servants, they pleaded. In other words, they came out with their hands up and the white flag. You know? I surrender. Verse 2, all right, Nahash said, but only on one condition. I will, oh, here he goes again. I will gouge out the right eye of every one of you as a disgrace to all Israel. Man. So how does the community respond? Verse 3, give us seven days to send out messengers throughout Israel, replied the elders of Jabesh. If no one comes to save us, we will agree to your terms. Would you say this community had hope or hopelessness? Hope or hopelessness? And it, it, was, it was a hopeless situation for them. Because, once again, Nahash had a reputation. He was brutal. He was a terrorist. And he had landed in their, in their community. And so these, these folks in Jabesh said, hey, give us seven days. They were trying to postpone the inevitable. That's really what they were doing. And so, having lost perspective, do you hear Jabesh saying, maybe we should ask God for help? Do you see that here? You won't find it. You will not find it in this text. Why not? This is what happens when people who call themselves followers of Christ... start living a compromised lifestyle. They don't feel they can come to Jesus and ask him for help. Why? Because they feel guilt and shame. That's just how the enemy likes to play with you, man. He dumps guilt on you. He dumps condemnation on you. And you, you feel like, I don't want to be hypocrite to ask God for help in this situation. Can I tell you a little secret? If the folks of Jabesh Gilead would have cried out to God, Right there and then, something cool would have happened. But they chose not to. God was far from their minds. And so, instead of humbling themselves before the Lord, what do they do? They put God off to the side and they tell Nahash, hey, we will surrender to you. Is that honoring to the Lord or not? I don't think so. I don't think so. So, a decision uh, has to be made. And uh, man, do you realize that there are countries today 
that um, if you steal, they cut off your hand. Hmm? They cut off your feet. They maim you. They, they, they mutilate. They humiliate their citizens to be able to control them. Would you like to live in a country like that? I wouldn't. And so Nahash, man, he was, he was mutilating people, gouging out their right eye. And so, um, not good. It's not good. Um, Jack Handy, Hand, Handy uh, wrote a book called Fuzzy Memories. Some of you have some fuzzy memories today, don't you? I mean, Debbie will periodically ask me, do you remember back, you know, and I was, nope, I don't remember that. I do not remember that. I don't remember it. It's fuzzy. It's fuzzy. Well, Jack uh, Handy, he wrote a whole book about fuzzy memories, and uh, this is what he wrote. There used to be this bully who would demand my lunch money every day. And since I was smaller, I would give it to him. But then I decided to fight back. I started taking karate lessons, but the instructor wanted $5 a lesson. It was cheaper to pay the bully, so I gave up karate. <laughs> hey, that's what's going on here in Jabesh Gilead. You know? They're, they're going to pay the bully. They're going to pay the bully, man, and be under his thumb for control. And um, that's, not a, that's not a healthy place to be. And um, um, we see that they wait. You know what I find interesting, too, is that Nahash decided to wait until Saul became king to go after Jabesh Gilead. Now, now, Saul, uh, Gibeah was 50 miles away from Jabesh Gilead. But it's just kind of interesting. He waited until Saul became king, and then he pulls the trigger to go after Jabesh Gilead. Why? To maybe see if Saul would do anything about it, you know? And you'll find that in your own personal life. Anytime you make a commitment, Lord, I'm going to draw close to you. The enemy's not going to let that happen automatically. He's going to push back just to see how serious you are about that decision, that choice you made. Yeah, he will. And so we see Nahash is doing that very same thing here, man. He's, he's going to wait to see how Saul responds. Number four, it's hopeless and they're afraid. Hopeless and afraid. Verse four, when the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and told the people about their plight, Everyone broke into tears. Now the question might be, why did Nahash let these messengers leave Jabesh Gilead? Well, he figured it was great promotion for him because he knew Israel was unorganized. They didn't have a capital. They didn't have a military, so to speak. They were very disorganized. And so he figured, I'll let these messengers go. They'll get the word out on the street that Nahash is around. They'll become more popular. There'll be more facial recognition. That's good. I'm good with that. And he didn't think these messengers would create a, a threat to his authority. So he let them go. So when they came to Gibeah of Saul 
and told the people, Nahash is in Jabesh, and he's going to take our right eye out. And crying is contagious, and so everybody in Gibeah started weeping. That's what it says here. They broke into tears. They broke into tears. Man, that means to be moan, to lament, to mourn with tears, to weep. It was, it was what, an expression of helplessness. It was. They were helpless. Oh, we're, nobody's going to help us. It's hopeless. You ever feel like that? Hmm? Do you ever feel like that? Pastor Jimmy Evans put it this way, fear is reality minus God. Faith is reality plus God. That's good. Fear is reality minus God. Faith is reality plus God. That's why, that's why, friend, it's imperative that you stay in God's Word to keep your faith healthy and alive. Because otherwise, if you don't, fear will come over and just run you over. It'll do that. That's exactly what's going on with these folks in Jabesh, man. When they came to Gibeah, oh, gloom, despair, you know? I'll tell you a little family secret. My brother, uh, he texts me almost every day. And he lives in that foreign state of Indiana. Anyway, uh, uh, we kind of tease each other. And so he was kind of telling me how his week was going. And I said, well, should I get out my violin? And he texted me back three violins. And I said, well, I'll get mine out, too, and I'll play for you, you know. So we're just kind of messing with each other. <clears throat> anyway, that's what's going on here in Gibeah. Everybody's got their violin out. And it's not looking good. So, um, yeah. no faith in God. No faith in God. Number five, God makes his move. And this is, this is great news, too. Hopeless and afraid goes to God makes his move. You, you may be in a hopeless situation today, you know. You may be staying up nights having a hard time sleeping because fear is just banging on your door. Here it is. God makes his move. Look at verse 5. Saul had been plowing a field with his oxen. When he returned to town, he probably was going to Culver's. That's my guess. He's probably going to Culver's, you know, get one of those concrete dudes, you know, working out in the fields all day. Man, he was worn out, came in for Culver's, and he asked, he comes in, everybody's crying. He says, what's the matter? That's a good question, isn't it? That is a very good question. Why is everyone crying? So they told him about the message from Jabesh. Then Check this out. The Spirit of God came powerfully upon Saul, and he became very angry. Now, just a footnote here. This is not a bad angry. This is a good angry. Can there be a good angry and a bad angry? Yes or no? Yeah, there can. This is a good angry. He took two oxen. Now, it doesn't say 
it doesn't say he took two of his oxen. It just, it just went up to somebody and took their oxen. They were parked outside of Culver's, man. <laughs> he, he just grabs them. And, and he cuts them into pieces, and he sent the messengers to carry them throughout Israel with this message. This is what will happen to the oxen of anyone who refuses to follow Saul and Samuel. Remember, Samuel was their spiritual leader. And he's saying, I'm not going to do this alone. I need Samuel along with this, with this attack. Now check this out. And the Lord made the people afraid of Saul's anger, and all of them came out together as one. When Saul mobilized them at Bezek, he found that there were 300,000 men from Israel and 30,000 men from Judah. Holy smoke! Saul had been anointed king by Samuel. We, we mentioned that earlier. Because they didn't have a palace for the king, because this is the first king of Israel, they weren't organized. Nobody, nobody had been a king before Saul, so this is all new to him. So he gets anointed by, by Samuel, and he says, I don't know where to go. I, well, I guess I can go back home again. And he goes back to work, goes back to farming, because that's what he knew. And it, isn't it interesting After plowing the fields that day, he comes back into town and he hears these people crying and weeping. Hmm. And it says, the Spirit of God came powerfully upon Saul. Ladies and gentlemen, um, we need that to happen in our own personal lives. We need God's Spirit powerfully in our lives. I'll tell you a little secret too, man. I, I say, when, when I'm talking to the Lord, I say, Holy Spirit, I need you today. I need your power today. Bezek, 14 miles west of Jabesh Gilead. The news came. Now, I'm going to go back to verse 6. The Spirit of God came powerfully upon Saul, and he became very angry. It was time for Saul to act. Uh, there, I can remember times in my own personal life where just something inside me just kind of rose up, you know, because I, I, I tend to be introverted, you know, backwards, quiet, reserved. And I know there, there have been specific times when God's Spirit just kind of hits the button, you know, and I just sense his presence, and it's like, it's time to go. It's time to go. That's exactly what's going on with Saul here. It, the Holy Spirit just kind of hit the button, and it wasn't to um, entertain or thrill Saul. No, no. It, it, this, the Holy Spirit equipped him for service to do something for the Lord. Right here, right now. And this is a good anger. We talked about it. It's a spirit-led anger. It's a righteous anger. Jesus became angry when he saw stuff being sold in the temple. That was a righteous anger because they turned the temple into a mall. And it made him very upset. It was a righteous anger. That's exactly what's going on here. And, um, and so Ephesians 1, 19 and 20 
it, it, this is exactly what you and I need in our lives. I, Paul says, I also pray that you will understand. Lord, help us understand. Help us understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us. Will you help us do that, Lord, today? For us who believe in him, check this out, this is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. The same Holy Spirit power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you when you put your faith in Christ. And so we can say, Lord, I don't want to be passive in, in this time in history. You have me alive for right here and right now for such a time as this. And just like the Spirit came powerfully upon Saul, Lord, I pray that you will come powerfully on me. So I will not sit back and be idle in these critical days, but I will be a light for Jesus Christ. Indeed. Indeed. And so, oh man, you know what I like about this too? Uh, it reminds me of David and Goliath. First um, Samuel 17, when, when Goliath was mocking the Israel army, David heard that and he said, who is this pagan Philistine anyway that's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? There was a righteous anger that's, that just took over in David. He had to do something. You're going to let this giant get away with that. Boom! And so when Saul was cutting up those oxen, you know what he was? It was kind of symbolic. He was saying, I'm retiring from being a farmer, and I'm going to become a warrior king from now on. That's what he was saying, making that public statement. And so the Lord worked on Saul's behalf by putting fear in the hearts of the people. And 330,000 men showed up. Whew. That's not the end. God, can I tell you something? God is working right here, right now. He is working right here, right now, in this world. In country after country. God is working. Which leads us to number six, help is on the way. Look at verse nine. So Saul sent the messengers back to Jabesh Gilead to say, we will rescue you by noontime tomorrow. What happened? It says there was great joy throughout the town when that message arrived. Can you imagine that? The joy? A celebration? They had all signed off in the fact that we're going to lose our right eye. You know? We're going to lose our right eye. It's going to happen. Nobody's going to come help, come help us. There's nobody. Nobody helped these other communities when Nahash came through. We're doomed. Help is on the way. Help is on the way. And uh, Psalm 135.3, Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Celebrate his lovely name with music. Man, when God, when God is working in your life, he's changing you, he's setting you free, what happens? You want to celebrate, don't you? Yeah, you want to celebrate. And so Colossians, uh, 
Colossians 3, no, Colossians 1, 13. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. Let's read that. For he, who is he? It's Jesus, has rescued. What? What? Help is on the way. He rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Aren't you glad for that? He rescued us. We were like the people in Jabesh Gilead. It was hopeless in our sin. But it says that Jesus rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Man. Help is on the way. You may feel like you're locked down right now. You know, it's never going to, listen to me, help is on the way. Help is on the way. So the the last few weeks, I've been camping out on a song. Uh, Shane and Shane, I don't know if they're twins or whatever, Shane and Shane. (laughs) Come on, you can smile, man. It's all right. It's all right. You can smile. There is a fountain, man, and and I've been listening to this song a lot. And in this song, there's a bridge. So there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains, lose all their guilty stains, and sinners plunged beneath the flood lose all their guilty stains. And then the bridge goes, Hallelujah, fountain full of love for us, poured out on us, Hallelujah, fountain full of love for us, poured out on us. I'm telling you, man. I am telling you something. I cannot contain myself. The gratitude I have that his love has been poured out on me. The cleansing stream. I've been forgiven. I surely didn't deserve it, but he forgave me anyway. I'm telling you, man, I celebrate that fact. I I tell the Lord how grateful I am for that. There there is something that help is on the way, man. And this morning, can I tell you something? That if you maybe have lived a life like Arthur Stace in Australia, man, where he came from horrific background. And yet God put his hand on Arthur's life one day, and Arthur put his faith in Christ and turned his life around. When you look at the life of Saul and how God's power was used for God's honor in Jabesh Gilead, the victory God gave to Saul. God wants to do that in your life. And this morning, I don't know if you have a relationship with Christ. In 1 John 2.17, and this world is fading away. Would you say that this world is fading away, friend? Would you? 1 John 
The Apostle John wrote this a long time ago. He said, this world is fading away along with everything that people crave, but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Live forever. That's what Jesus wants. He wants you to live forever with him. And how do you do that? That simply means you put your faith in Jesus. Jesus, I recognize I'm a sinner. You tell him that. I'm a sinner. Sin will keep me out of heaven. I recognize that, Lord. You went to the cross. You were nailed to that cross. You shed blood for the forgiveness of sins. You paid for my sin dead in full. And Jesus, I say yes to that. You are who you said you were, the Savior of the world. So I invite you into my life, Jesus. Forgive me. Forgive me. I put all my trust, all my weight on you, Lord. And I thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for becoming my personal Savior. And I will live for you, Lord, the rest of my life through the power of your Spirit. Yeah. It's all because of you. Eternity. He wants you with him forever. That's our desire too. So Lord, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for bringing hope to a community that was hopeless. And Lord, if there's people here today watching, listening, that are in hopeless situations, I pray that they will call on your name, Jesus. And we know that you will come and make a difference in their lives. We're so grateful for that, Lord. You are so faithful. You are so good. We put our trust, our lives in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.